Hey everyone, it's Michael again with the Pega Deep Dive Podcast. Today we're going to cover authentication within security. And I know the first episode, if you listened to it, was a little different. I didn't cover the format that I was trying to do, where I want to do usage, so business terms, and then I go into the topic in Pega technical terms, and then I finally go into the topic in kind of non-Pega technical terms, just standard technical terms. So the last one, I was just giving an overview, right? Kind of an intro episode. Today, we're going to be covering authentication, and hopefully we'll use that format. So I'm going to start out with the usage, the business usage case. So, you know, a non-technical user could understand what authentication is in their application, when they'd use it, how it applies. And then we'll go into PEGA technical terms, kind of cover how to implement authentication within PEGA, some specific terms, anything you need. And lastly, we'll look at it in non-PEGA technical terms, so just standard web development terms as best I can. (laughs) So with that, let's jump right in and focus on authentication from the business perspective. So we have to ask ourselves, what is authentication? Well, in non-technical terms, this is signing in to an application, right? When you normally go to sign into an application, it presents you with a screen where it asks for a username and password. And when you enter your credentials, your username and password, it will then authenticate you into the application. There are obviously several different forms of authentication that we're going to get into, but the main purpose of authentication is to make sure the user is who they say they are. Right, that's why we're given a username and a password. They're supposed to be unique. That way, there's really only one username and password combination per user. This is why if you ever do security training in organizations, they always say, do not share your password because then now anyone can pretend to be you, can you know commit fraud, steal your identity. Now, the common forms of authentication, well, just... For a business user, the most common authentication that we're going to use in a large enterprise is called SSO. And SSO is an acronym that stands for Single Sign-On. And this basically just, what it does is the user only has to sign on once. And many times within large enterprise, major corporations, you sign into your laptop or your machine and there it gets your credentials and it's able to authenticate with this SSO server, so to speak. But essentially you sign in and from there you get a token, you get something that you can then behind the scenes, all that you see is you're logged into your laptop and you go to open another application. I don't know, say you're signing into your email You open up your email on the internet, and instead of asking you to authenticate for your credentials, it automatically signs in and opens up. You think, oh, it doesn't need my information, and really, it it didn't authenticate. But in reality, it did authenticate. It just used this SSO scheme where your computer already had the authentication, and it just told that application, hey, I'm authenticated. Here's the information to prove so from a real high level that's basically what it is and so yeah that's the main we're going to talk about in technical terms a couple of 
forms of authentication because applications do use several. But the main one that you need to be concerned with, especially for business users, I'm almost positive that you're all going to be dealing with SSO, single sign-on. It's just the most popular, right? I mean, as I describe it, you only enter your credentials once. And then from there on, you can open applications within your enterprise and it automatically authenticates you. So you no longer have to enter your credentials. Okay, now that we've covered from the business user perspective, we're going to go into Pega technical terms. You know, how do you implement authentication in Pega in actual rules? So to start out, there's five authentication types in Pega. Um, basically, these are ways to authenticate into the system. I'll just start out by describing, well, listing them off. PR basic, so I say PR as in the letter P, the letter R basic, and then PR secured basic, PR ext as in PREXT assign, PREXT assign, PR custom, and then J2EE context. And let me go into a couple of these. Uh, PR basic is the most basic of them all. It just takes in a username and password. And the credentials, everything is stored within Pega. You're authenticating with the Pega application server. So this is usually within an, within an enterprise. This is used, this is the least common within production. It's pretty common to use this in a development environment because I don't know, it's not it's not too common, I guess, to have an SSO into development environments, but it's pretty common to have the PR basic set up so that you can add and remove users easily right there in your Pega application, right there on your Pega server. It's pretty easy to to add and remove new development users, you know, new testers, whatever it may be. So that's PR basic and that's pretty much the extent of it is used in a development environment. The next one is PR Secured Basic. And PR Secured Basic is the same thing as in credentials are stored in Pega, but this time they are encrypted. And this encryption is typical using SSL and the user must use HTTPS in the URL. Uh, PR ext Assign is for external assignments using directed web access. This is not with Pega Mashup like some might think. So yeah, this this is specific and I won't be getting into this one. We'll spend most of our time talking about the next one which is PR Custom. So PR Custom is the one that is used to implement SSO. We use it to implement LDAP and many others. I guess any custom authentication you want to implement, you're going to use PR custom. So first let me say that in order to use these different authentication types, you have to access them through a servlet. And a servlet is a common Java thing, so we'll talk about that later. But the way that Pega uses these servlets is you would name one, I mean the names are arbitrary, you can change them, but we'll use the generic names that are usually default in Pega. But you would have a servlet name of PR Basic, right? So you can have, and that would use the PR Basic authentication type, where we said it just uses credentials, they're not encrypted, and they're stored within the Pega server. 
But then, later, if you want to start using LDAP or SSO, you would use a different servlet name. And all these are stored within the web, the prweb.xml file. The prweb.xml file literally just has, you know, some information at the top, but basically what we're going to look at, what we care about, is the servlets. So you have a servlet tag, and a servlet XML tag, and it wraps all the servlet information. You have the servlet name, display name, a description, a class, but really what matters is it uses these init-param, so these parameters. And within each param, they give a param name and a param value, so parameters, parameter name and parameter value. For PR custom, since this is the auth type we're going to focus on, it actually has a special parameter for you. Okay, there's one parameter for the parameter name is authentication type, and then the parameter value is PR custom, right? Otherwise, it'd be PR basic, PR secured basic, whatever. So in this instance, authentication type, PR custom. There's another parameter where the parameter name is auth service, short for authentication service and the value is in this one it's web LDAP 1 this example that's usually the default I think that Pega has set up in the system already when you know out of the box and that auth service rule or sorry this authentication this auth service parameter and it's the value is web LDAP 1 is actually pointing that's the name of a rule in Pega auth service is short for authentication service and that is a rule type in Pega. And so now if we go to the auth service rules, we will find one called web LDAP1. And we'll be able to open it and look at it because what's happening is if someone, the servlet name here was web LDAP1. So if they put that in their URL, you know, they put in the URL of your server, your application server, and then they put in PR servlet slash however you have it set up but at the end they signify the servlet of web LDAP 1 when it hits the server the server is going to look in this prweb.xml file it's going to see that web and then it's going to look for that servlet of web LDAP 1 it's going to find it here in the web.xml file and it's going to you know look through until it finds the value of the parameter for the auth service. Well, only in the situation where, okay, it looked through, find its PR custom, then know that it needs to look for an auth service rule. So when it finds the auth service parameter value of WebLDAP1, it then goes and looks at the authentication service rules and grabs the WebLDAP1 rule. And within that WebLDAP1 authentication service rule, it has two activities at the top. Now obviously the idea is that this is an audio podcast so you can't look. I am looking at an authentication service rule so I can kind of walk you through some of the things that are in it. But mainly we're going to talk about is there are these two activities. One is called the timeout activity and the other is the authentication activity. So pretty intuitive timeout activity is triggered if the servlet times out. Otherwise, the authentication activity is what's triggered when you have uh, the activity specified. And there are 
other things within the authentication service rule. We're not going to get into those in this podcast because you can go in. This is where you can connect. Um, you can call JNDI binding parameters, other things for SSO, and there's also attribute mappings. So if parameters are passed through the URL or through the header through HTTP to Pega, to the Pega servlet, you can then grab those. This is really common in LDAP or SSO scenarios where you want to auto-create a user that has never accessed your application before, and you want to be able to give them authorization, which, right, we're covering authentication. Authorization, which is what acts, what the user is allowed to do within your application. But yeah, you can map certain authorization attributes or email, any information. We'll be covering that later in the authorization podcast. So for now, we're just going to focus on the fact that in our process of the user specifies a servlet in their URL, hits the server, checks prweb.xml, finds the name of that servlet, and then finds the parameters to look up the authentication service rule. Now, goes to the authentication service rule, doesn't time out, so we'll forget that activity, and instead it then triggers the authentication activity. And within this activity is where you can specify if you're doing an LDAP authentication, it can query the LDAP server, get the information. Peg already has a pre-set up LDAP activity to run and bind to the LDAP server. You can also set up SSO in here, which we're going to talk about a little. Well, of course, because it's the most common one, but that's where you would set it up. That, that would be the process. It then goes in, triggers that activity, and to stick with the example of LDAP, it would query the LDAP server exchange, get the information, authenticate, and then return whatever information the web LDAPs, the LDAP server is going to return, and then Pega then lets you into the application because now it has authenticated you as a operator, and it now begins and uses your operator, which we're not getting into. We're just looking at authentication, so we can look at that part later, but for now, that's how far we're going to take it. And I just wanted to cover an example of SSO that was on one of my previous clients. Um, I won't say the client's name, I guess, that way to give away anything secure for them. But a common SSO is to use a third-party SSO, right? I mean, I guess to Pega, everything would be third-party since it's all SSO. But I just wanted to paint this picture. Uh, The way that it was set up in production is the user would ping our server, right? Put a URL in with our servlet that was set up for SSO. And when they would enter that, their request would go to a web server, not quite our application server yet. It would hit a web server internal, right? Internal to the client's network. You had to be logged into VPN or physically on their local area network. It was internal. It would hit an internal web server and that web server would handle using the third-party application called SiteMinder to then handle the SSO portion where it takes their credentials, authenticates them, and then gives them a token at the reverse proxy server. We'll get into this later, but I wanted you to be aware that it actually hits the web server. Uh, We're not even at Pega yet, right? We're not even to our Pega application servers. Hits a web server, authenticates there, 
then once it's got the token or in this situation sightminder would just without the token it wouldn't let you through so once it had the token sightminder would then pass on the request to the pega application server and from there pega didn't need to authenticate in the sense of sending the information back out to get verified because in this situation SiteMinder actually handled all the authentication and there was no it was right like a firewall so once a request was able to get through to your PEG application you knew that the user was already authenticated and you could just grab their SSO token in order or whatever I think in the header they passed through the username and probably access of the user other things like that but the point is you can see there's different setups this one we did use a PR custom authentication type so we did use an authentication service rule which then we used in that activity we used it to create a model operator and set up the user but there was no need to actually authenticate the user and verify any credentials so I just want to give you that as an example that on one of my clients it was set up that way and there can be many different ways to mess around with it. Okay, now let's look at the, we're still talking about in PEGA technical terms. Some other authentication things would be the security policies. That's what PEGA calls them. This is where you're gonna handle things like authentication lockout, uh, password policies as far as length, special characters, you know, um, password expiration or renewal timelines multi-factor authentication and audit policies for auditing users logging in. So I'm just going to, uh, let's see the, if you can remember, the security policies are under inside of Designer Studio. It's under the Designer Studio menu, organ security, authentication, and then security policies is where you would find these. And I'm just going to scroll down and look through this and kind of read to you the way it is because most of it's fairly intuitive. Right, I mean, like we're going to start out at the top, it has the password policies, and these are pretty intuitive. I mean, you can describe the minimum operator identifier, so you know the user name length, password length, special characters, uppercase, lowercase. The typical things you see with password policies are all defined here. Then it has CAPTCHA policies, which CAPTCHAs, you know, when you put in your password and then it sends you to it has like an image with some letters in it or numbers and it says type in what's in the image it's just to try and stop bots from using the application and this has different settings where you can set it up that if a user has a failed attempt one failed logon then the next time they go to log on it forces them to do a captcha uh, there's different settings here that you can do it has lockout policies uh, you know if if they fail authenticating or their username and password were incorrect three times in a row you can lock them out for 90 seconds or 10 minutes and then those can compound and get longer if you want plenty of settings in here uh, the audit policy setting is used to add any log on attempt to a log you know like a file log and the settings for the audit policies is it has three settings it has none basic in advanced. Basically, if your audit policy log level is set to none, it doesn't collect any logs when a user logs in. If it's set to basic, it'll collect logs on a failed login attempt. 
and then if it's set to advanced, it'll collect logs on both failed and successful login attempts. So that's where you would find this is within the security policies. And then there's also multi-factor authentication in here, right? You can set that up to force it to use different multiple means of authentication, right? You maybe get a one-time password sent to you via text or email. I think it's set up mostly for email. They might have other ways, but yeah, I see here that they have the setting for email. I'm sure if you wanted to implement multi-factor authentication, you could use a third-party third-party tool if you wanted to do over email or I know that there's many where they push to your phone, Okta or however that's pronounced, OKTA. It's a very popular one, uh, multi-factor authentication tool. So yeah, the the settings are in here. If you want to use Pega's built-in where you can have it send an email to you for a one-time password in order to get that token to authenticate. And there's also an operator disablement policy that you can specify the number of days that an operator is inactive. You know, if they've if the user hasn't logged in in 90 days, which is pretty a pretty common timeline across enterprises, if the user hasn't logged into a certain application within 90 days, you disable their operator. And so the next time, if they go to log in and it's been more than 90 days, they no longer have access and they'll have to go through the proper channels to get their access fixed and recovered. Okay, that's mostly everything from the Pega technical side. Might have missed some things, but I definitely wanted to cover authentication service rules, right? Very important. The PRweb.xml and then the security policies, because all these are items that are likely covered on your Pega LSA readiness exam. I mean, I don't know how long these exams will be around, but they're pretty common things and right, they're very useful security things to know. If you're talking exam specific, then yeah, you want to listen to this podcast and listen to how I mentioned that the audit logs have none, basic and advanced, right? Things like that. But for the most part, it's good to know the way that Pega uses these things because likely your, your organization, your enterprise is going to be implementing these in some way. And if you're not a lead on a project and you're not the one that's dealing with these, it's still really good to understand it because someday, hopefully, you'll be a lead as well, or at least a lead ability. So, yeah, let's move on now to, in non-PEGA technical terms, now I don't really have a lot to cover because pretty much everything we covered is fairly non-PEGA specific. I mean, as far as the ideas behind SSO, LDAP, um, usually enterprises are the ones that define the SSO scheme, the authentication scheme whether it's SSO or LDAP. And so, right, they have all this stuff is non-PEGA technical. They hand it over to you, right? Like the example I used with SiteMinder that didn't even use PEGA until it had already authenticated. So you can see that it's all pretty much non-PEGA specific. We will look into, I just wanted to cover SSO really lightly, kind of the main idea in some one way that I've heard SSO explained in general. The process is, right, a user would submit their credentials to the server. So let's say this is the first time that they're logging in. So they would, to, to any of the applications, they log in, so they submit their credentials to the server. So let's say like your application server. It's gonna get routed to what's called a reverse proxy server. And this is probably, you know, an access directory. So it usually SSO uses LDAP, but that's, non-specific basically it gets routed to an access 
proxy server, a reverse proxy server with the access credentialing, there it creates a token. So if the user is authenticated by this, right, this is external to Pega, or sorry, it's external to any application, web application, because you submit your credentials to the web application and it redirects it to this reverse proxy server that handles all authentication. It then authenticates you, says yes, these, these are the correct credentials for this user. I now know who they are. So let me, in, in order to avoid authenticating again, sending information, sending the credentials to this SSO server, this reverse proxy server, instead it's gonna hand you a token, right, to your browser and say here this user is authenticated now you can just use this unique token whenever you go log into an application and then the application can verify the token with me and you no longer need to send your credentials and yeah that's the process then it sends the the app server then accepts the token and the user is permitted and so from there on you see that you have a token and so when you go to log into say a different application within your enterprise so within the SSO coverage you would uh, send your credentials but you'd likely just send your token and it would just go to the app server the app server would get the token be able to verify with the reverse proxy server that this user is authenticated and you're then allowed into the application you never had to submit credentials and yet you never had to see a log on screen hopefully well i hope i covered everything real well i hope you understand authentication within pega a little better especially sso and ldap since those are the most popular ones go ahead subscribe if you have any comments or questions i'd love to hear them connect with me in any way possible i'm very big on linkedin i have that posted in the description of the podcast so feel free to message me there or comment, reach out. Anyways, thanks for listening, and I look forward to the next episode.